We hope you enjoy listening to this podcast of St. Louis on the Air, brought to you by University College at Washington University. With undergraduate and graduate programs, part-time, evening, and online. University College at Washington University, offering world-class education within reach. Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Don Marsh. Canfield Drive in Ferguson became an important part of the Michael Brown story in 2014. That's where Brown died after being shot by Officer Darren Wilson. Now Canfield Drive is the title of a black rep production. Its world premiere is about to open for a a two-and-a-half-week run at the Edison Theater at Washington University. Joining me in studio to talk about the play are Ron Himes, founder and producing director of The Black Rep. Michael Thomas Walker and Kristen Adele Calhoun wrote Canfield Drive. Kristen is also a member of the cast. Thank you all for coming in. Thank you for having us. I think a lot of people are excited about uh, what's going to be happening at the Edison Theater. Adele and Michael, let me start with you. I I get the impression, having read about what you've been going through with all of this, that you felt that this was a play that had to be written. Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, this was was um, a, you know, we were... we were part of a play reading group in New York City. Um, Kristen and I had gone to uh, graduate school together at Rutgers. And um, and we had actually just met the, that day when Mike Brown was shot. And it, it just mm-hmm. felt like there this was a, a moment where we needed to stop play reading and start playwriting. Mm-hmm. Follow up on that, uh, well, Adele. Yeah, I would say that it was a part of an accumulation of events that we had seen um, in the national narrative around unarmed black people being killed by law enforcement. We'd had Trayvon Martin the year before, Eric Garner very recently in New York City, and then followed by um, the Michael Brown incident. And for me, as a black person in America, I... I had to figure out a way to channel my outrage and my pain and the suffering that it caused me every time one of these things that uh, occurred. So I'm a trained theater maker, and so it, it made sense to channel that through creating a piece of theater. And we were very fortunate to get support from the National Performance Network and have the piece be commissioned by the Black Rap and 651 Arts in Brooklyn and have the support to start coming back and forth and doing these interviews in St. Louis to, to tell the story. We'll go more into that in just a moment. But Ron Himes, same question to you. I get the impression that this was a production that you feel you you had to present. Yeah, it was. Uh, you know, uh, right around the time of the incident, there were you know a lot of artists who came to town and were creating work about Ferguson. And people at the time were asking, when was the black rep going to do a Ferguson play? When was the black rep going to do something around it? And my response at that time was, you know, we're not looking at doing anything soon because we feel like the work that we're doing has always spoke to what precipitated that and that we were always speaking to it. But then I got a call from Shea Wafer, who's the executive director at 651 in Brooklyn, who had met with Michael and Kristen and was considering commissioning the play. And she asked if we would co-commission the play. And so I said, well, let me meet these people. Let me hear what they're talking about. Let me hear their idea. And their approach to the story was really intriguing and compelling. And I said, sure, we'll do this. You know, it's really interesting how much art in the various forms of the Michael Brown shooting has generated in terms of artwork, visual artwork, visual and art. other, other plays, and, and even music. Yes, yes. It's been, um, you know, a, a, a flashpoint uh, for uh, artists who are activists to have an opportunity to speak out and address the issues 
Again, I think they're not really just speaking to that incident, but to the, the conditions and the circumstances that allowed that incident to happen and that allow it to continue to happen in America. Adele, what is the basic storyline? I'll, I'll ask you and Michael to kind of inter, in, act interchangeably in, in responding to these questions as, as the two writers. But. Okay, so you have uh, two news reporters who've been thrown um, into this story from across the aisle that are here in Ferguson. The, the story begins on August 10th. 2014, and you have a very conservative reporter and a, a liberal reporter who have been asked to cover the story together with uh, pretty opposing points of view. And the journey that they go on includes doing um, face-to-face interviews with people in studio, face-to-face interviews with people on location, and they go on a personal journey as they seek to understand one another's perspective and also listen to the people in this community. Pick up on that, Michael, if you will, in terms of what what they learned from each other. Yeah, I think it's about having uh, that you you start to see that the two of them uh, are wanting to learn more about the other and wanting to understand each other and to um, they they try to hear each other and so they they do they do make a turn in the second act where um, Brad begins to understand there's an incident there's something that happens to the two of them and he is caught in the middle of it and for the first time where he understands what it's like to be or starts to understand what it's like to be black in America and I think um, I think it doesn't you know we don't we don't try to set out to offer any solutions what we try to do is start a conversation ask questions and get that ball rolling is one of the reporters white and the other black is is that it yes That's right Tell me about your character, Adele. So my character is Imani Duncan Ward, who is the black liberal news reporter um, who is very similar to me in a lot of ways. Originally, these characters were based on Michael and I, and they've evolved over the years into um, something that's further removed from our individual stories. But um, I think Imani is very curious about why things continue to happen, why um, acts of systemic oppression continue to happen in this country. And so she's continually asking the question of like, how did we get here? And I think that was my question coming into this. And then I think part of Imani's journey is, well, how do we thrive in a society that has these things in place? How do people of color um, find joy and pleasure and and thrive in this country and have cross-cultural conversations with one another? Ron, I'm going to ask you to pick up on something that Michael said. He says one of the reporters, the white reporter, learns or begins to understand what it's like to be black. Do you think it's possible for a white person to understand what it's like to be black? I don't know. <laughs> I think that there are certainly um, white people who invest some time and energy into trying to understand it. And I think that that's what this character in the play does. I think that when the play starts, he is definitely in a place that is quite removed from where he evolves to over the course of the play. By quite removed, you mean racist? I wouldn't say at the beginning that he was racist, but he has some racist uh, ideas and perceptions of uh, and assumptions. He has made some. He has some racist assumptions, and I think that at his core, he doesn't realize it. As you know, I think that uh, the racism is uh, as is institutionalized in systems. It also is in people. What are some of those assumptions, Michael? Um, well, one of the, some of the ones that. 
I encountered when the Mike Brown incident occurred was that I had people in my life who were calling him a thug and and uh, saying, well, he is, his parents didn't raise him right. And those assumptions, I hear that all the time. And it's like, you don't know him. You don't know how he was raised. You don't know that he was a thug. You don't know what happened. But that is a very... Um, especially when that video came out of him in the convenience store, it was a it was very easy for white people to just go, well, there there it is, he's he's a thug and that's it. And part of the exploration of this play and and what Kristen and I wanted to do was to say, wait a minute, there's more to the story. We want to know. Not only do we want to hear about what was going on in Ferguson from unheard voices, but we also wanted to explore. What happens when white people put an, uh, an assumption or, or make, uh, make an assumption about a black person and it's never refuted, it's never rebutted? And, and this is, of course, in the context of the national media. You know, we were in New York City at the time, so we were watching MSNBC and uh, CNN. And you know, even to some extent, we watched Fox News to see what is Fox News saying about it. So. Adele, what uh, were you thinking about St. Louis, the St. Louis area, as this story was unfolding? When you say, what was I thinking about St. Louis? Yeah, because we here, we have a bit of an inferiority complex, I think, in St. <laughs> Louis. And, I, and w- this was a dateline that went around the world. Mm-hmm. And it put St. Louis in a very, very poor light, I thought. What were you thinking about well, this I, region? I guess what I was most curious about is um, a lot of people in the national narrative were treating this like it was an isolated incident, and they didn't understand why people were so upset. But when I saw the uprising that came out of St. Louis, when I saw the young people of Missouri on the street, I was very curious about why were so many people showing up? What was happening in St. Louis that caused so many people to be so angry and stay in the streets for so long? So I wanted to know about the history of St. Louis. And I think we found a lot that said that these things have been going on. Like when uh, Ron talked about the black rep has been telling the stories that precipitated this event for the past 42 years that the black rep has been around. I think that's very true because you have to look back at um, the fact that we're on indigenous land and the mounds were taken down. The land was desecrated to put up St. Louis City, that you have the Dred Scott decision that happened here. And all of the all of that history precipitates a moment like August 9th, 2014. So that's what I discovered about St. Louis, which I think is also very American. It's a microcosm of a, a larger American issue that we sometimes struggle to have conversations around. And I'm hoping that the play will point people to maybe a model of how to start to talk about these things. Ron, a lot of white people were surprised by what they learned about uh, about our community as a result of this shooting, the things that have been going on, the driving while black and the bail and the situations that have since come to light. White people were surprised, but this, of course, was old news in the black community. Yes, it certainly was. I mean, um it had been going on for years, and that's, you know, when we began, when I first met them, and we began talking about, you know, the interviews, and, you know, I, I while, while I was in school at Wash U, my mom moved to uh, Northwoods, and so to go home to visit, I could either drive through Ferguson or drive through Jennings, and because I had to drive through either one of those municipalities, it cut down the number of times that I went home to visit. Because I just would not, after a while, drive through because I always got stopped. I mean, and this is 
late late 60s, early 70s. So, you know, this was not new. And what I told people, what I would say is that this has been going on. Uh, we interview a number of local people, and John Wright is one of the people who, who shows up in the play, you know, and he's a renowned historian, and, you know, he talks about Ferguson as a sundown town and how how bad how there used to be a chain across the road separating Ferguson from Kinlock. And so yeah, these things have been going on. African Americans have known that they've been going on because they've been the brunt of the abuse. Adele, I'll come back to you and Michael again with regard to these interviews. Tell me something about that process. How often did you come to St. Louis to conduct them and and uh, give me some idea of what the, what the people were telling you? Oh, we came maybe five or at least five or six times. I I kind of lost track at this point, but we came several times over the course of the the interview process. And we heard from all kinds of people, uh, various perspectives about what happened, about what has been happening here. Um, The Black Rep was instrumental in giving us a, a great list of folks to interview. And then we also reached out to friends who had been involved on the front lines and said, who are the who are the people that we need to speak with here? We also um, interviewed people uh, uh, kind of in the national media and some people in New York City. Um, and then we, we just went to Canfield Green and interviewed people there that we ran into. And some of those people have made it into the show. We, we think we've interviewed uh, – we know we've interviewed over 100 people. Um, and we, I think there's about 40 that have made it into the play. What was the most uh, surprising thing you learned, the most unexpected thing that you came out of these discussions? I think for me how pervasive these systems were. For instance, we were staying at a hotel downtown and the young man who was our busser, he was a young African-American man, beautiful spirit, opera singer, trained classically, and he told us that just a few months before we met him, he had been shot by the police. And that that was such a... Um, everyday story for so many people, this level of harassment that they were dealing with. I think that surprised me. I didn't expect it to be quite that pervasive. I think what surprised me the most has been um, it it is hard for white people to talk about race. It's uncomfortable for white people to talk about race. There were very few white people who wanted to talk to us on the record. and it was hard to find white people who are doing the kind of work that needs to be done. Um, and I, that was surprising to me. Um, and I hope that this play will help start changing that. Ron, were you involved at all in these interviews? Not at all. <laughs> uh, you know, just uh, in terms of the you know, list of people, sometimes, uh, you know, helping with the six degrees of separation to put them in touch with somebody. But I was not involved with the interview process at all. As a matter of fact, I was not really involved in the development of the script until I saw the first draft. Uh, so they did all of the all of the legwork and the research. You, you've lived here and you've lived through this. What, what did you learn? Did, the, did this play and, and what you learned from these interviews teach you anything? No, what I learned is what I know. <laughs> um, that, you know, with St. Louis is a very polarized um, community, very polarized city. It always has been. And, you know, for years people talk about how polarized we are. And, you know, every now and again there are efforts, there are attempts, there are studies, there are projects to address it. But it's pervasive and it persists. 
Has there been any change in your mind and your observation uh, since the Michael Brown shooting and, and all of this? In some instances, but I think it has been the same kind of cyclical response to an incident uh, where something like this has happened and there uh, is some immediate response from community leaders or the corporate community in a way to say, well, this isn't us, this isn't who we want to be, and so we'll do some things to make it look like we are trying to affect some change, and the change is very incremental. It is not... uh, it is not over, you know, it's not an overall sort of investment. I think that there are some people who talk from the top down and uh, it doesn't make it all the way through the levels of commitment that it needs to have. Kristen, have you picked up, and Michael, have you picked up on what Ron has just been saying here during the time you've been in St. Louis? Absolutely. And I think it's bigger than St. Louis. I think it points to a larger American issues where these things happen cyclically. And if there is change that happens, it's generally very small. But we try to hold that ground when we get it, um, as a character says in the play. But absolutely, I agree with that 100 percent. And um, but I think it's just a larger picture of what's happening in our country. How about you, Michael? 100 percent. Lived in New York City when, with uh, Eric Garner, um, m- moved to Birmingham. I live in Birmingham, Alabama now. Um, E.J. Bradford was just shot and killed um, f- the Friday after Thanksgiving in Hoover, and the police have mishandled that situation. Um, so it it continues. It, it has not, and I agree with Kristen, it's not just a St. Louis issue. This is an, a national um, issue. And um, I also agree with Ron that you hear a lot of things from the top down, but then where's the where's the proof in the pudding? You know, there's it's just not there. No, none of us has a crystal ball. But I wonder what role we talked to addressed it earlier with regard to the arts. What role the arts and specifically stage productions such as yours can play in changing this or affecting some sort of change? I'm a firm believer that. theater and art have the ability to make changes. And I believe that our our duty is to hold the mirror up and let people see what is happening. And part of what didn't happen on a national narrative was that there were voices that were not heard. There were people on the front lines who were ignored. And we want those voices to be heard. We want those stories to be told. And they're hard to hear. And they you, when you're confronted with them, if you're a white person and you are confronted with a black person telling you there's systemic racist issues in our government, in our society, you have to listen and then you have to start making conscious choices to change that. And I think this play is a platform in which we can start those conversations and make changes. You want to pick up on that, Absolutely. Kristen? I'll say another role of the arts is to allow people an opportunity to imagine the impossible, to present for folks something beyond what we've already seen. Because we, I think, can all agree that the way things are isn't working for us. But I think the arts have a there's a great opportunity when you're creating a play or creating a film to show something else and give people a new picture of what could be. And then I think once folks have seen it, then we can actually act towards achieving it and making it a, making it a reality. Mm-hmm. Ron, do you want to weigh in? Sure. I think that, you know, there are times when these difficult conversations 
are um, are not able to be had. That what theater does is it gives people an opportunity to talk about the play. Mm-hmm. You know, this happened in the play, and I can make comments on it. Or that character did this in the play. I can talk about that action in the play. And in the process, what we hope by the work that we're doing is that that conversation ultimately expands and leaves the theater. You know, one of the things that I say a lot, I've been saying for years, is that, you know, when the lights go down in the theater and we're sitting in that dark room and you have no idea of who's sitting next to you. You don't know if they're black or white, straight or gay, Democrat, Republican, whatever. But you know that when you sigh, they sighed. When you laughed, they laughed. When you reached for a tissue because you had a tear on your cheek, they reached for a tissue. There's an experience that we have been able to share in the dark in the theater that we have not managed to be able to continue to share when the lights come up. Mm-hmm. Adele, I keep calling you Adele. I'm sorry. It's, uh, That's all right. <laughs> Kristen Adele Calhoun. Mm-hmm. Kristen, your, your thoughts uh, in response to I that. agree with that wholeheartedly. And I think it's beautifully put about how what happens in the in a dark room in a theater rarely happens in other places um, in our society. I'm trying to think of another place where it happens, and I can't think of one. Not in a, a church service, not at a football game, anything. Um, so I, I think that's very true. And I think this question of how do we continue that moment of shared humanity and that empathy and, you know, I reach across and hand you a tissue and I don't worry about, you know, your identity in any way. We're just humans together. How do we move that beyond the walls of the theater and into our daily lives, I think, is is our constant pursuit. Michael, 15 seconds to have a <laughs> final word here. Uh, I think Ron put it beautifully and I have nothing to add except to say yes. Yes. Well, a lot of folks are going to be saying yes after watching uh, Canfield Drive at the Edison Theater. That's uh, starting tomorrow night, correct? Tomorrow Eight night, o'clock yes. is curtain time, and it will run through the uh, 27th. Yes. Ron Himes, thank you so much for being with us. Great to see you again. Thank you, Don. Keep it going, man. All right. Thank you. Kristen Adele Calhoun. And uh, it's good to see you, Michael Thomas Walker. Thank you so much for thank being you. with us. Break a leg, as they say. Thank you. Thank you. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU.